Chapter 6. What do we do now, Mal asked Pops. He was cleaning the cut on her arm. The shard of glass had left her with a nasty oozing gash. We need to tell the rangers, he said. The station is closed now, but I'll call first thing in the morning. What will they do? They'll have to trap the bear, he said, tearing open a band-aid and carefully pressing it over Mal's cut. They'll move it up to the mountains, way into the wilderness. He explained that as the ra- that the rangers had a special kind of trailer for trapping problem bears. They'd hitch it to a jeep and drive it to where the bear was last seen. They'd bait the trap with deer or elk meat. The bear would climb inside to get the bait and then slam. A door would shut behind it, locking it in. The rangers would drive the trailer up into the wilds of the park, far from the campgrounds and hiking trails. They'd release the bear and drive away. What if that grizzly comes back here, Mal asked. It won't, Pop said, but his eyes flickered and Mal could see he wasn't so sure. Mal wanted to help Pops clean up the broken glass, but Kevin needed her. The little guy was all shaken up. Mal found him on her tiny cot, tears pouring down his face. I'm sorry, Mal. I made the bear mad. Oh, Kev, Mal said, lying down next to him and pulling him in close. It's not your fault. She tried to make her voice sound calm, like moms always did when they were upset. You didn't do anything wrong. Shh, shh. After a few minutes, Kevin's sobs slowed down and Mal pulled the blanket over them. She thought about all those times mom's calm words made things better. There was the time they saw bats in the outhouse and the time they discovered a huge raccoon standing on the counter in the cabin. It had looked at them and hissed. Well, good morning to you too, mom had said to the raccoon. She always made them feel lucky when they saw something wild. To her, a shiny green beetle was more beautiful than a diamond ring. Every spider's web was a work of art. But mom wouldn't have felt lucky tonight. That bear had terrified all of them even Pops. In fact, Mel was secretly glad that Kevin wanted to sleep with her. She snuggled up closer to him. A few minutes later, he drifted off to sleep with both arms wrapped tight around Mel's neck. Mel could hear Pops moving around the cabin. He'd already hammered a piece of wood over the broken window in the door. Now he was sweeping up the glass. She closed her eyes and tried to fall asleep, but the bear attack kept playing over and over again in her head, like a slideshow that wouldn't stop. It just didn't make sense. Grizzlies didn't act that way or smell that way, at least no grizzly she'd ever heard of. She'd only seen a grizzly one other time in her life. As Kevin breathed softly next to her, she thought back on that unforgettable day. Questions for chapter six that you can answer in your packet after you listen to me read them. Chapter six, what do they, they being Mel and Pops, need to do now? What will the rangers do to the bear? So think about those questions. Answer them in your packet. Chapter 7. It was two summers ago. She and Mom were hiking together on one of their favorite trails. It was just the two of them. Dad had stayed at the cabin to watch Kevin, and Pop's knees had been giving him trouble. Mel was always happy to have Mom to herself. They were walking along a babbling stream when suddenly Mom gasped. Mel followed her worried gaze across the water. There, under a tree, was a large bear lying on its side. It looked like it was sleeping. Even from ten feet away, they could tell it was a grizzly. It had the hump between its shoulders. That was the main difference between grizzly bears and black bears. It was important to know the difference, because grizzlies were more aggressive and powerful than black bears. Grizzly attacks were very rare. They usually only happened when a grizzly was surprised or felt threatened. And this bear would be very surprised and feel very threatened when it woke up and saw Mel and Mom standing there. How had this bear not heard them coming? Mom and Mel always made noise when they were hiking. 
That was the rule number one here in grizzly country, to make noise so you never surprised a bear. They talked loudly, they sang, they clapped. Mom and Mel were the loudest hikers in Glacier. Why hadn't this grizzly woken up? And then they figured it out. Mel, Mom had said, grabbing Mel's arm, the bear is dead. And that's when Mel noticed the bear's eyes. They were open wide, staring, unblinking. They stood there for a moment. Come, Mom said, let's go see. They crossed the creek and knelt down next to the bear. Mel's body jangled with a mix of fear and excitement. This was a once-in-a-lifetime chance to see Glacier's most fearsome creature right up close. It was enormous, with shaggy brown fur dusted with gray. Mel studied the bear's rounded ears, its shiny black nose, the giant snout. Mom pointed out to the bulge, pointed out the bulges on the side of the jaw. Those were the muscles that gave Grizzly such a powerful bite, strong enough to chomp through metal. What a magnificent creature, Mom said. She spoke very quietly, as if they were in art museum or at church. It's very old, Mom said. You can tell by its teeth. The bear's mouth was open just wide enough to see inside. Its teeth were worn down and chipped. Three of its four long teeth, the canines, were gone. Mel gently put her hands on the bear's side. They disappeared up into her wrists in its glossy fur. But what amazed Mel most about the grizzly and gave her goosebumps were the bear's paws. They were enormous, practically like baseball mitts, furry on top with thick black pads on the bottom. She knew how powerful they could be. One smack could knock out a moose, and those claws, long and white and slightly curved, Mel touched the tip of one with her finger. It felt as strong as steel. Mom and Mel sat with the bear for a long time until the sun started to drop down in the sky. Then they gathered as many fallen pine branches as they could. They laid them carefully over the grizzly's body. They said a little prayer, and they left, be left the bear in its wild resting place. We'll never forget this, Mom had said. Mom was right. Mel could still remember every detail of that day. That grizzly didn't seem like a ferocious beast. It was beautiful, like one of Glacier's lakes or waterfalls. Nothing like the monster they'd seen tonight. Some questions to think about for Chapter 7. What did Mel and Mom spot while hiking? What amazed Mel about the grizzlies? And use at least three details to describe the bear. And what simile, remember simile uses the words like or as, to describe or to compare two things. What simile is used to describe the bear? Chapter 8, The Next Morning. Monday, August 7th, 1967, The Cabin. Mel woke up to the smell of eggs and toast. Kevin was gone. He left his stuffed alligator tucked in next to Mel. Mel threw on her jeans and sweatshirt and padded into the kitchen. Kevin had finished breakfast and was busily drawing a picture. Look, Melly, he cried. It's a picture of me and my wolverine beating up that mean grizzly. Mel kissed his head and looked over his shoulder at his scribbles. Somehow Kevin had turned last night's terror into a thrilling adventure. She wished she was a little kid again. Pops looked tired, too. Mel doubted he'd close his eyes last night, but he smiled and served her a plate of heaped with scrambled eggs and buttery toast. There was a knock at the door. They all jumped a little bit before a familiar voice called out, Hello? Aunt Cassie, Kevin said gleefully. Come in, Pops answered. A moment later, the door swung open and Aunt Cassie appeared with her yellow and pink dress and her green suitcase in hand. Aunt Cassie looked like a flower, a six-foot flower with brown glasses and an afro. Mel's throat tightened. The last time she'd seen Aunt Cassie was at Mom's funeral in December. Aunt Cassie had written Mel about ten letters since then, but Mel hadn't written back. She'd never known what to say, and now she felt ashamed. 
She couldn't even look at Aunt Cassie. But before Mel knew it, Aunt Cassie's arms were around her. I've missed you, she said. She put her hand on Mel's cheek, so Mel had no choice but to meet her gaze. And to Mel's surprise, there wasn't even a flicker of anger in Aunt Cassie's eyes. Just the usual love and maybe a touch of sadness. Somehow that split second look between her and Aunt Cassie said more than 100 letters could. And you, little man, Aunt Cassie said to Kevin, you've grown at least a foot. Kevin hopped up and hugged her around the legs. So, Aunt Cassie said when Kevin finally let go, who wants to tell me what happened here? She pointed to the cabin door, or what was left of it. The wood of the door was cracked, the hinges bent, there were deep scratches in it from the bear's claws. A grizzly came here, Kevin cried. It wanted to eat me. I was brave. Aunt Cassie looked at Mel and Pops. Believe it or not, that's exactly what happened, Pops said. Pops poured Aunt Cassie some coffee, and they told her the whole story. Aunt Cassie listened with wide eyes. I've never heard of a grizzly acting like that, she said when they were finished. And Aunt Cassie knew as much about grizzlies as Mel and Pops did, because she'd also been coming to Glacier her whole life. Aunt Cassie and Mom actually met here as little girls splashing around in the Lake McDonald. They told Mel about the adventures they'd had together. The craziest ideas were always Mom's. She and Aunt Cassie would hike all day to find a secret waterfall or fishing hole. Sometimes they'd get lost and straggle home, smudged with dirt and covered with scratches as the sun was coming down. But of course, that was half the fun. Now Aunt Cassie lived in Chicago. She was a writer for all different magazines. She'd even won some prizes. Mom was so proud of her. Mel moved... Her chair toward Aunt Cassie. Being close to her made Mel feel calmer, but she still shuddered as she pictured that grizzly's claws aimed right at Kevin's face. That bear, it was like a monster, Mel said. It sure was, Pops agreed. There had to be something wrong with it. What did the ranger say, Aunt Cassie asked? Nothing yet, Pops said, clearing Kevin's plate. I called earlier, but there was no answer. They must be busy with the fires. I plan to stop by the station later, but first I want to go to town and get a lock for the front door. He glanced at Mel, just to be sure. Mel looked at Cassie, then back at Pops. What if Aunt Cassie and I go to the station, she said. I can tell them what happened. She wanted the rangers to do something about the bear. Now. Cassie's face brightened. Sounds good to me, she said. I'm curious to hear what they'll say. That's fine, Pops said. Then he turned to Kevin. Let's go, Wolverine boy. We're going to town. Ice cream, Kevin boomed. On the way out the front door, Mel eyed the deep, jagged scratches in the wood. It looked like a maniac with an axe had tried to chop down the door. And there was a tangled clump of brown fur in the corner of the porch. Mel shivered, even though the day was warm, and followed Aunt Cassie out to her car. Questions for Chapter 8. Why did Mel feel ashamed? And describe what the banged-up door looked like. Chapter 9. Ten minutes later, Aunt Cassie and Mel pulled into the parking lot at the Lake McDonald Ranger Station. It was just a small log building, about three miles from the cabin. They waited in line behind a young man with a mop of brown hair and a beard. He was paying for a trail map. When he finished, Aunt Cassie stepped back and gave Mel a little nudge toward the counter. Mel stepped up. The ranger gave her a kindly smile. He didn't look much younger than Pops. What can I do for you, young lady? Mel felt nervous, like when her teacher called on her, but she took a breath and looked at the man in the eye. I live down the lake in one of the cabins, she said. A grizzly bear came out of the woods last night and followed me up to the cabin, and then it smashed the window and tried to break down our door, and the ranger held up his hand. Let me guess, skinny bear, light brown, long claws? Mel glanced back at Aunt Cassie, who raised her eyebrows in surprise. That's the one, Mel said. How did you know? We call that bear Old Slim, the ranger said. 
People have been complaining about him all summer. A real troublemaker. Been riding, raiding campgrounds, making a mess of people's garbage cans, stealing people's food. Harmless, though. Mel felt her cheeks turn red. What was this man saying? Hadn't he heard what she just told him? Harmless, Mel said. That bear almost ripped our, the door off our hinges. And the memory of the grizzly's paws only inches from Kevin's face flashed across her mind. She pinched her index finger and thumb close together. And it got this close to tearing my little brother to shreds. Aunt Cassie put a hand on Mel's shoulder. Mel realized she was on her tippy toes, leaning over the counter. She let out a breath and took a step back. She didn't want to be rude, but she needed the ranger to understand. The ranger nodded. That old Slim's a real rascal. A few days ago, he chased a couple of boys at the Trout Lake campground, wrecked their tent, bit, bit right through some of the cans of chili, ate a whole pack of wieners in one bite, the ranger chuckled. Excuse me, Aunt Cassie said, stepping closer to the counter herself. I'm not sure what's funny about this grizzly. Mel heard something over her shoulder and noticed that the young man was luring or lurking just inside the doorway listening. Were she and Aunt Cassie making too big of a fuss? The rangers needed to do something about this bear, Aunt Cassie went on, her voice raising sharply. The ranger's cheeks turned pink. There's nothing I can do, miss. I'm just a volunteer. He pointed to the symbol on his shirt and shrugged. Most of the rangers are dealing with the fires. He patted Mel's hand. I'm sorry you were scared, kiddo, but I wouldn't worry about that grizzly. Mel's temper flared up again because she was pretty sure she should be worried. Can you at least tell us why it was acting like that, Mel asked. Do you think I could have done something? I wasn't there, the ranger said, but from the other stories, it sounds like this bear's just a little off. Like I said, I wouldn't worry about it. Then he stepped back from the counter. He was done with this conversation. Mel was fuming as they walked back to the parking lot. They were almost at the car when a voice called to them. Wait! It was the young man with the beard. He hurried over. You're right about that grizzly, he said to Mel, catching his breath. It's dangerous. Very dangerous. Aunt Cassie and Mel waited to hear more. And it's not just what that one bear. There's a big problem here at Glacier. If something isn't done soon, someone's going to get killed. Questions for chapter nine. What was the nickname the rangers gave the bear? What had the bear been doing? And what's going to happen if the grizzlies don't get taken care of? Chapter 10. The man's name was Stephen Weiss. He was a wildlife scientist studying grizzly bears. He worked at the University of Montana. He told them all about his work as they sat outside the lodge, outside the snack bar of the Lake McDonald Lodge. It was the big hotel across the lake from the ranger station. Aunt Cassie had suggested Steve join them for lunch because it turned out they had a lot to talk about. They brought food and bought a picnic table and brought it to a picnic table near the lake. The water was so still it looked like a piece of light blue glass. Mel ignored her cheeseburger and opened up a bag of bugles. She popped one of the cone-shaped corn chips into her mouth. They were a brand new kind of snack and were all the rage at school this year. I want to know everything about the grizzly that followed you last night, Steve said. He pushed aside his burger and bottle of Coke to make room for a notebook. He scribbled away with his pen as Mal told him how the grizzly appeared from the woods and wound up on the porch. You did exactly the right thing, Steve said, looking impressed. You stayed calm. I don't think that bear was going to attack you. But the way it rose up like that, Mal said with a shudder. That's actually not an aggressive stance, he said. Bears stand up on their hind legs to get a better look at things. But if you had run or if had got, it had gotten into the cabin, I really don't know. Grizzlies are unpredictable, but I'd say you're lucky. Steve asked her how the bear looked, smelled, and sounded. He was especially interested in the claws. How long were they, he asked. 
Mel thought for a minute. She stared at one of her bugles and slipped it over her finger. It looked like to be about an inch long. Way longer than this, she said, holding up her bugle-topped finger. Steve nodded as he wrote. That makes sense. Grizzlies use their claws to dig for roots and little animals under the ground. It sounds like that grizzly isn't doing much digging. Steve asked her a few more questions and then finally closed his notebook. All summer, there had been an unusually high number of reports of aggressive grizzlies, he said, picking up his burger. You're not the only one who's had a frightening experience. But why are all the bears acting this way, Mel asked. There had to be a reason. She gazed at the smoke rising over the north end of the park. Is it the fires? Steve shook his head. It's not the fires, he said. There have been wildfires and glaciers since before it was a park. He pointed to their table, which was now covered with half-eaten burgers, crumpled wrappers, ketchup-covered napkins, and bottles of soda. This is the reason the bears are threatening humans. Um, the bears want to eat our hamburgers, Aunt Cassie said. She glanced nervously at Mel, and Mel knew what she was thinking. That sounded, well, a little crazy. Steve shook his head. Not exactly. The problem is garbage, leftover food. There's trash everywhere in the park, on the trails, in the campgrounds, dumped in ditches. It's become a bigger and bigger problem in Glacier. Mel thought of Mom hollering at people who littered. She pictured her tiny mother standing on the trail in her red bandana and peace sign t-shirt, scolding a gorilla-sized man for leaving his empty Coke bottle on the trail. She leaned forward. His, he le Steve leaned forward. His eyes narrowed. Grizzlies are eating the garbage. Some grizzlies have almost stopped hunting and eating berries and plants. They're now eating garbage and whatever food they can find at the campgrounds. Steve told them more about the research he'd been doing, and suddenly what he was saying didn't sound crazy at all. As part of my research, I've also been studying grizzly scat, Steve went on. Mel tried not to smile. Scat was another word for wild animal poop, and it had become Kevin's favorite word. I have to go make a scat, he'd said yesterday morning as he ran to the outhouse. But what Steve was saying was serious. I've been finding grizzly scat with glass in it, pieces of metal and plastic, he continued. Last month, the rangers found a grizzly near a garbage dump. It had starved to death. It, hadn't, it had glass embedded in its teeth. It probably couldn't eat. How terrible, Aunt Cassie said. Mel pushed away her food. She'd lost her appetite. It is, Steve went on. Some of these grizzlies are really suffering, and they're becoming more and more dangerous to people. They don't want to stay away from us. They think of us as a source of food. So that's why the grizzly followed me last night, Mel asked. It was looking for food? Steve nodded. I'm sure of it. And once it got up to the cabin, it could smell the food inside. A bear's sense of smell is even more powerful than a dog's. And it saw you all as a threat to its food. That's why it became so aggressive. Mel felt chills. There were hundreds of grizzlies in Glacier. What if all of them started stalking people? How could they ever feel safe in Glacier again? Something had to be done. So Glacier needs to be cleaned up, she said. Yes, Steve said, but there are other problems. Have you heard of the Granite Park Chalet? Of course, Aunt Cassie said. Mel had, too. It was a rustic hotel for hikers way up in the mountains. Mom had always wanted to take Mel there. Wait until you see the view, she said. There's a, is there a lot of garbage there, Mel asked. She hated to think of one of Mom's favorite places being littered with trash. It's worse than that, from what I hear, Steve said, lowering his voice. I've heard these strange rumors. I'm not even sure if I believe them. I just know there's something happening with the grizzlies up there, and I want to find out for myself. I'm planning on hiking up there tomorrow. We should go too, Mel blurted out. Aunt Cassie raised her eyebrows. That's a long hike. Eight miles each way, Steve said. I'm going to stay overnight. You're welcome to join me. Cassie looked at Mel. You really want to go? Mel thought for a minute. She'd never hiked that far. And what if they saw a grizzly? But Mel didn't 
waiver. Whatever was happening at Granite Chalet, she wanted to know. I can do it, she said. Cassie smiled. All right, it's a plan. They finished their lunch and gathered up their trash. The garbage can was already overflowing. Mel bent down and quickly picked up the wrappers and dirty napkins that were scattered across the ground. But then she looked around and saw there was litter everywhere. Broken glass glittered in the dirt. Paper bags lay crumpled under tables. There were even straw wrappers floating in the air like ghostly little birds. It would take hours just to clean up this one small area. And that's when Mel truly understood all that Steve had told them. It wasn't the bears that were the problem in Glacier. It was the people. Questions for chapter 10. List some details used to describe the man with the beard. What was causing the bears to act strange? And what do you think was happening at Granite Park Chalet? Answer your questions in your packet on Notability.